Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. Like many creative agencies, TBWA Chai at Day LA is looking for its next phase of growth. As part of a network that prides itself on disruption, CEO Aaron Riley is leading the LA office to lean into areas where it can bring a provocative perspective, whether that's through a bespoke design offering or disruptive creativity for complex B2B businesses. The agency is also working to attract and retain the next generation of talent as creatives take on new opportunities such as freelancing post-pandemic while keeping up its commitment to DE&I. In this episode, Riley chats about how Shyat LA is balancing broader economic pressures with the need to do more with less as the media landscape fragments and shares how her experience as a CMO informs her approach to running an agency. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, Editor-in-Chief of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi, Erin. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Allison? I'm good. Thanks so much for joining me. So I'm excited to chat with you today about TBWA and the LA office. Um, I think just to start, since it is such a big network, tell us a little bit about LA and, you know, how you guys fit into the TBWA network more broadly. What's sort of your unique positioning within that? Yeah, of course. Well, yes, TBWA is a global network. I think we have over 10,000 employees globally, um, but we call ourselves a collective. And that is, I think, more than just marketing spin. It is true. Uh, it is because we um, invest a lot of time and money in connecting all of the offices on a pretty personal level. So of course, there's infrastructure and tools that connects us, but we actually know and like each other. So when we need to integrate, when we need a favor, when we need to borrow talent or knowledge, it's as easy as picking up the phone. Um, and so LA takes itself um, in that obligation, like very seriously, to be a good member of the collective, to be generous with our time and our talent, um, and uh, be very active in the collective, particularly in um, global business and, and knowledge sharing. But I think the legacy of LA um, is quite powerful within TBWA. So Shiat Day uh, LA has, I think, always been sort of a beacon of creativity and innovation within the network. You know, certainly the the chassis that we all run on, the methodology, the ethos is disruption. Uh, and that was, uh, I think, that came out of, you know, something that came out of our Paris office and Jean-Marie Drew, who's sort of the great, you know, godfather of, of that methodology. But certainly that spirit resided in the LA office from its inception. You know, we were one of the the very first, if not the first agencies on the West Coast. This notion of challenging the status quo was always a part of us. You know, we coined um, sort of this this notion of ourselves as pirates. And that was very much inspired by the work that we did with Steve Jobs back in the day on, on Apple. And when he sort of famously said, it's more fun uh, to be a pirate than be in the Navy, we kind of adopted that as, as our uh, spirit as well. So I think what we've contributed to the collective over the years is sort of the embodiment of the spirit of the network and a lot of sort of the cultural vibe, uh, I think, of the network that is simultaneously very rigorous, but also very spirited and, and very challenging and doesn't take itself too, too seriously and is optimistic, you know, bring some of that LA optimism to the collective. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, um, you know, the collective 
obviously grew through acquisitions and stuff over time. And a lot of creative agencies are going through this now where it's less about operating out of separate offices and more about sort of like collaborating together across regions and even globally. Um, with with TBWA Chai at Day, I know you referred to it as Chai at Day LA. I know some offices are more like Chai at Day. Some are more TBWA. Talk a little bit about that and that heritage and how you kind of embrace that, but then also are just one network as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it is so funny because depending on who we talk to, we might reference ourselves, uh, differently, you know, certainly if it is a global client, you know, we, we might sort of present as TBWA because they are tapping into, to the collective when it is a local client, we are often shy at you know, or shy a day. Uh, rarely do we say LA unless we're talking to someone who, you know, we have to obviously distinguish our geography from New York. I think the, the, the beauty of TBWA is that it has managed to create a real, as we said, collective that has sort of this sort of shared view and a lot of, um, tools and, and talent and processes that allow us to integrate fluidly. Um, but they have allowed the agencies to preserve their sort of independent spirits, not necessarily identities in every case. You know, there are agencies like Shiat that retained uh, their their name. Others just carry TBWA. But all of the offices are encouraged to, you know, be themselves, be authentic to their market, absorb the the culture of their market and and reflect that. Um, and it's kind of a beautiful balance um, that, that allows us, I think, to show up um, as a true kind of multinational partner, but also have a very intimate relationship with our clients. You know, if you're Mm -hmm. someone who's looking for a big global um, network that can, you know, harness the power of a holding company and all the, 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 the resources that come with that, we can be your answer. If you're looking for sort of a more boutique creative experience, we can do that too. We can kind of shape shift and flex uh, depending on what is right for the brand and and the client. Um, I think you'll see probably shy at New York and shy at LA uh, becoming even closer in, in the coming years. You know, we, we do a lot of, again, kind of um, informal collaboration and, and sharing. Um, but I think we do recognize that there are certain offerings that benefit from scale and, and a little bit more formal integration. And so as we look forward to 2024, that's one of the things that we've been talking a lot about in our strategic plans um, is bringing those offices together in key areas, but allowing them to maintain their distinct cultures um, and, and the thing that kind of drives them and their people uh, locally. Yeah, it's an interesting balance. I think a lot of agencies are trying to strike within within bigger networks. Um, you brought up how, you know, TBWA is known as the disruption agency or company. Talk mm-hmm. about how that's manifesting um, at Shy at LA. How are you approaching creative innovation? There's all these new tools available in the marketplace. Like, how do you see sort of evolving the creative business and being yeah. that disruptor? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, disruption is sort of the great gift that keeps on giving. And I think the more uncertain things become in in the sort of landscape, the more appropriate disruption is, um, because I think the only thing that we can count on is is change. And and so we need to to have the right sort of strong platform and grounding um, to help us navigate that. 
I think the way that it manifests is in in sort of big and small ways. Um, as I said, it is a, an actual methodology that we apply uh, when we are trying to um, you know, solve problems for clients. Sometimes that's at the biggest level, you know, let's reposition the brand, let's help them kind of transcend their category and really lead to a total transformation. And sometimes it's quite small, which is we need to show it, show up in a format and do something that we've never done before. You know, can we create as they did in, in New York, a 10 minute TikTok when, you know, that went against the conventional wisdom of what would work in that category. You know, we did something similar a few years back uh, on Snapchat when we did sort of a multi-level game at uh, same thing. People were like, that will never work. And it's one of, to this day, their most successful case studies. So whether we're disrupting at sort of a, a category brand level or or at sort of a, a, a channel level, we are simply just trying to challenge the conventions um, because that is what we think you know, brings uh, disproportionate attention to to our brands. You know, some of the other ways that we're disrupting within um, the development of our own tools and capabilities is if you think about our design offering, um, D by D, you know, we are not just offering sort of visual identities and visual systems because it is tied to the disruption methodology, we are really looking for like the visual soul of the brand. It's very rooted in a brand platform. And we have found that that allows it to travel much further. You know, any creative agency can tell you the story of, you know, having a design agency that spends a ton of time and does a ton of like wonderful work on creating uh, sort of identities for brands. And then they hand them over to creative agencies. And it's like, well, actually, none of this None of this actually fits. It's not really rooted in the brand platform. There's really no insight. It doesn't flex into the comms channels. You know, we we believe that starting with the brand, the brand platform, and then being so close to the point of application is is really um, giving us an advantage there and is actually quite disruptive in, in that landscape. Similarly, we have an offering called Plex, which is sort of our answer to B2B, but beyond B2B, it's really designed for the most complex businesses. And that could really be in any category. Tends to be tech, health, finance, um, you know, cybersecurity, uh, you know, th- those kinds of things. Um, but we really wanted to disrupt that landscape um, because so often those brands shape the entire trajectory of the world, but they kind of have dull work, if we're being honest. Their <laughs> brands are not uh, sort of as potent as they could be. And we thought, what if we could bring bold, brave, disruptive creativity um, and match it with the rigor that is really needed for the complexity? That feels like a disruption in mm-hmm. in that uh, sort of landscape. So, you know, we're kind of using disruption on lots of layers uh, at lots of levels, you know, for brands and then for ourselves. Yeah. As you kind of, you know, lean into more of these like sort of disruptive emerging opportunities, particularly on the media side, which is changing so quickly. Like how much of what the agency does is TV ads versus like other forms of creativity? Yeah. 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 I mean, one of our, you know, primary objectives is obviously creative excellence, but also creative versatility because 
as you said, that landscape is changing so fast. Um, and we understand how audiences engage. Um, I think we do still see the role for film. Now, whether that is linear or connected TV or something you're watching on your phone, you know, like it, it might show up in lots of different places, but we do still see um, a lot of power in that for brands, both uh, sort of on an instinctual level and in, in terms of how we see people sharing and reacting to storytelling and content, but also through a lot of the media mix modeling uh, that we do with our media partners, you know, film based work is still driving uh, return and, and efficiency for those brands. So it is, I would say, film based work in general is still a very big part of what the agency does. More often than not, though, now it is part of a um, orchestrated mix of things that goes well beyond the film. You know, it is not enough to just put a, a 15 second ad out there. You know, it, it needs to have an inherently social component. It needs to um, maybe have a, a, a live experiential component that that sort of fluidity of um, channel and the connectivity of that has become much, much more important and is much, much more what we're doing. I mean, that's why we have a connections practice because orchestrating mm -hmm. all of that um, actually is an art in and of itself. Uh, and, yeah. and it does take more effort and more time. And I think that is challenging for clients. Um, you know, their organizations are not necessarily growing either. And now what used to be, you know, a relatively straightforward campaign to get out the door takes many more months and has many, many more moving parts. Um, and so they are looking to us more and more to help them figure all of that out, orchestrate it, execute it, because it's just like an onslaught of assets mm. now for every yeah. single thing that we, we do. Well, to that point, like, how is that changing the relationship, the business relationship you have with your clients? Because they, they need your sort of like advice and consulting a little bit more now, right? In terms of like how to go to market, where to go to market. At the same time, your people are working more and putting, you know, creating more things yeah. for them to put out in the world. Like, how does that change the dynamic? Yeah, I, I think it changes the dynamic in, in a positive way in that, you know, we've seen the pendulum swing, I think, in, in the industry from, you know, consolidation with one agency or, or at least, a, you know, a network or holding company, you know, all the way back to lots of fragmentation. Um, I, I think the complexity of some of these things, uh, you know, is bringing some clients back to more integrated solutions, um, more consolidated um solutions because it's just so cumbersome for them to manage. And that benefits us because it strengthens our bond with them. It does help us sort of orchestrate that total brand experience. And that's where we, um, that's where we really thrive. I mean, again, disruption is meant to be not an ad idea, but a brand platform that orchestrates lots of things. And so when we can get more and more connected across those things, I think it's more rewarding, more fulfilling for us and probably easier for the client. I think where it is straining the dynamic, if I'm being honest, is what you mentioned, which is it's just a lot of work. Like it, it, it is a lot of labor, it, a lot of labor intensive work. And I, I don't think that client budgets um, or timelines, frankly, have necessarily caught up. So, you know, we've had to add lots of bodies, lots of specialisms, more people, makers, creators, community managers, you know, tons of, of, of different um, kind of forms of, of strategy and creativity and creative technology um, to make this work. And, and they are still benchmarking largely off of, you know, old 
staff plan. You know, we, we talk with procurement mm-hmm. and, and they're sort of not quite sure what to do with new staff plans and, and new kind of rate cards, which is, you know, kind of the, you know, maybe the boring part of the business, but it is directly create, you know, directly tied to our ability to, to get to bold creative outcomes. You know, the work mm-hmm. suffers when we don't have enough uh, people. And, and I do think that, that, that it requires more folks these days, um, no matter how much agility and efficiency we can gain in the process, you know, you just need more hands yeah. because there are more things to create. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you've been on the client side yourself, right? You are a CMO. Um, talk about like how you use your experience and your perspective from being in that role to like translate some of these things to clients. Cause I feel like there is a disconnect happening there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I went client side, I was like, oh boy, I was so naive when I was on the agency side. You know, we would get so flustered or so frustrated when they would change the brief or cut the budget or there would be a pivot. Um, And I had such a greater appreciation for the fact that you know, those things were not being done with, without care, you know, there, there were forces and, and factors, um, you know, commercial ones often that were driving those changes. So I think I am much more empathetic, uh, for the, the client situation, you know, particularly our marketing clients who, um, you know, are often, you know, as, as, as much victims of, of the, the larger circumstance than we are as, as the agency, you know, you're on a path and then things change. They change in the business, they change in, in the macroeconomic uh, condition. So much, much more empathy, um, much, much more focus, I think, on understanding those factors, you know, how, what really is driving your business, you know, what are the sort of hard and soft motivations with within a company so that we can be good partners, but also anticipate, you know, understand the the lay of the land enough to be like, all right, we see this could be coming. How do we have a contingency? How do we plan accordingly? You know, where do we kind of pick our battles and and put our our emphasis um, in places that we know are going to support our clients um, in the best way? So I think uh, certainly more um appreciation for their situation. And, and then I think probably more rigor in, in certain areas to, to be better partners. But I, you know, I, I also remember, uh, when I joined, uh, old Navy, the agency at the time said, Oh, we're so glad that you're here because we have all these great ideas and none of them are getting made. And we don't understand why. And you're from the agency side, you're going to understand. And very shortly into the role, I was like, well, I see why none of your ideas are getting made because, we don't have the people to do that. Like, that's not how we're built. We're siloed. We've got people, you know, like we've got, but like, Mm -hmm. there's so much inertia towards the way that things have been done. And everyone is under so much pressure um, that to pivot that and change to a content series um, or, you know, something that wasn't sort of part of the upfront buy is like a Herculean pivot. Like you think Mm. it's just... Hey, isn't this cool? Let's go make it. Um, and so I really try to not have us do the same thing um, because it's, you know, just as frustrating for our clients to see great ideas they can't make. But also um, so many good ideas get left on the cutting room floor. Um, and I don't think we've completely solved that, uh, to, to be honest. I think we are probably guilty of that uh, as well, which is a lot of great ideas without a home or a process to, to get them made. But um, I think I, I understand that challenge much, much, much more. 
Yeah. I mean, I think to your point, CMOs are under a lot of pressure and that sort of informs, I think it all trickles down right into how they treat their agencies, how they get paid, all those types of things. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more campaign chemistry. So what made you go back to the agency side after your time as a marketer? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I made it to the other side and then I, I come, came, came back. Um, well, a couple of things. Um, I think I, I really, really valued my client side experience. Um, and I, um, learned a ton as we just covered. Um, uh, and I wouldn't trade it for the world, but I did miss agency life. You know, I did miss sort of an organization that was kind of fully rallying and motivated by the primacy of a great idea. You know, we wanted to make something to put out in the world and move people. And of course, there are frictions between departments, but for the most part, everyone kind of comes together, you know, behind the same behind the same goal. Um, I think that agencies attract the most interesting, idiosyncratic uh, people, uh, and that creates a really fun uh, dynamic uh, environment. Um, I, I miss that. I also missed being at the forefront of what was happening in culture and media and technology. You know, as a client, you are spending a lot of time understanding your business and your business dynamic and the commercial realities of your business. You just don't have time to, to track all of those other things. You rely on your agencies to do that. Um, but I missed Mm. a little bit having my finger on the pulse of those things. Um, Mm. So I was open to it and then Shiat came along and it was like, well, you know, an agency with that kind of reputation and that kind of legacy doesn't come calling all the time. And so it felt like this is the right, the right move. I, I also, as much as I loved going deep on a single brand, I missed being able to dabble across many, you know, categories Mm -hmm. and, and really pushing myself to understand, um, you know, a, a much more broad spectrum of, of sort of brand challenges. Yeah. So, um, obviously TBWA was able to attract you as talent, but talk about how you're, um, approaching talent. I think, you know, a, a few agency leaders have told me recently that it's difficult to find creative talent these days. Um, I don't know. Are you experiencing that? And if so, how are you changing the way that you go about searching for talent? Yeah. Yeah, we are experiencing that. You know, I think we thought maybe it was a momentary sort of pandemic thing or pandemic hangover. But I do think it has fundamentally changed uh, how talent sees their relationship with agencies. And in particular, creatives, I think, have figured out that they can freelance and make a lot of money, have more freedom, not have to kind of get into the grind of things, um, you know, which is just a part of, of getting great stuff out the door. It, it's not easy and it can be tedious. And so we are seeing in particular, I think creatives resist full-time employment, um, happy to work with us in a contract or freelance capacity, but that's not always what our clients want. You know, they want people deeply embedded in their business that they're building relationships with. You know, it is a relationship business, uh, a people business. And I think it's an adjustment for everyone to think, oh, wow, people who are really shaping my work might be people I don't meet or, or spend time with consistently. So I think it is a challenge. I also think it is a challenge that we need to accept, which is we have to create the conditions that make those people want to come back. 
And I do think that that is hard. I mean, that is part of the pressure I think that we're feeling. You know, we talked earlier about the fact that, you know, client budgets are not necessarily accounting for the, the, the breadth and depth of what we're creating. That is putting a pressure on both our financial reality and just our time and, and that work life you know, balance thing, which I think most people who go into advertising understand is not going to be fully balanced. Um, but it at moments has gotten so out of whack that, that of course people leave the, the industry. I think a lot of the great talent is, is saying this isn't worth it anymore. You know, I certainly grew up in a time where it, as long as the work was good at the end, it didn't matter what you went through to get to it. Um, and we mm-hmm. kind of wore that as a badge of honor in in some way. And I think we are seeing, um, you know, some of the 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 folks now saying, ah, it's that's not a that's not a good deal. Uh, of course, I want to work hard, and of course, I want great work at the end. But I am not willing to sacrifice everything in my life. And and I do think we believe at TBWA and certainly at Chiat Day LA that what people do outside of work makes them so much better you know, as someone who's gone out and experienced culture and who has strong friend and family bonds and feels secure and has health, good mental health, like all of those things make them more creative, more willing to take risks, more innovative. We know that creating that balance is actually better for the client work, but it can be very, very difficult to maintain and create that condition. So, you know, we try and do something that we call, you know, uncommon humanity. You know, we, we are trying to be um, uncommonly human first um, to really encourage people to, to say, you know, hey, this is a boundary, you know, and yes, sometimes I'll work on the weekends, but sometimes I won't be in in the morning because I have a parent teacher conference or I have to surf every day to clear my head, you know, trying to make space um, for people to find the things and the time for what's most important to them so that they can kind of be the fullest version of themselves when they do come um, is yeah. what we're we're trying to achieve anyways. Yeah. I mean, is that it's it's kind of an impossible challenge, right? Because you have on the one hand clients sort of pushing you to do more with less and then talent saying, actually, we're not going to do that. So how do you kind of like walk that tightrope? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I maybe we're falling <laughs> off. I think the tightrope is maybe what is is the problem. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I think it's very, very challenging. Um, I think we are trying to continually examine the way that we work to say, you know, do let's not just accept that things have to always be done the same way and go through as many layers of approvals and, uh, you know, have as many meetings and, you know, all the things that we talk about in terms of, well, can we just find natural efficiencies? Um, You know, one of the benefits I think we have as a global collective is being able to tap talent um, in other offices. So if we need an influx of talent in a moment, you know, we can get it and then, you know, we can kind of ebb and flow, um, and, and partner, um, with, um, yeah, with, with the, the scale of the collective to help that a little bit. Um, 
and I, I think we're just trying to really listen to people. Um, you know, we are of a size um, in LA and in New York, respectively, um, that we can understand our employees on a pretty individual level. You know, we're we're big, but we're not so big that we can't really know. Like, where is somebody? Do they need a break right now? Do they need a change of of pace? Do they need a different account? Do they need a different assignment? Do they need to like you know? go to dinner with their partner, uh, you know, tonight and just step away, you know, trying to, to be, um, kind of systemic in one regard mm-hmm. and create better systems and processes and employee acknowledgement and recognition and all the things that motivate people, but then also being quite personal and individual, um, and, and hoping that that can help meet people where they are and get them through patches where they're feeling burnt out. And at least at the end of the day, they feel like, okay, these people care about me. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not just a cog in this machine. Mm -hmm. Um, they actually care about me as a human. Um, and so I can advocate for myself and, and it will be okay. Yeah. Speaking of that, you've been a big advocate for DE&I and gender equality in the industry. And I feel like in general, people kind of feel like the momentum has slowed around DE&I in the, in the industry across the board. How do you, how are you like personally continuing to, to push on that at Shy at LA? And what are some things that you're doing to, yeah, keep the momentum high? Yeah. I think the momentum has slowed in the industry. You know, I'm, I'm, I was shocked, I think, when I saw some of the coverage of last year's Super Bowl and, you know, there was less diversity in front of and behind the camera than ever before. And I think on that same front page, um, there was an article about how diverse influencers had seen a precipitous drop off in brand engagement, um, you know, from the previous year. So I, I think that we're seeing it there in the work. I think we're also seeing um, more and more uh, DEI programming um, suffer cuts um, as, you know, clients and agencies are, are having to, to kind of tighten the, the belt um, in, in sort of the, the economic situation. So I, I think that that is a fact. I think we're also learning what works and doesn't work. So some of that programming shifting or restructuring is not necessarily a sign that we're not invested. Uh, it's just that we're learning different things uh, are impactful um, and different kinds of training and engagement. And sometimes, um, you know, at least with, with training and development, we're seeing that, you know, high impact versus, you know, constant sort of mini things are, are working, um, or it's a combination of the two and some of those things can be automated and, you know, all, all the things that might change the way we approach that. But I, I think for me, the reckoning was sort of the systemic racism of our society. And then within our industry was deeply and profoundly, uh, sort of moving. It was a difficult learning experience and it was very personal. You know, my family is a, a, a mixed race family. And so, my sort of commitment to diversity and inclusion um, was something I held as like a core value. And when I had to listen to employees say, you haven't done enough, we know you care, but that hasn't translated into the kinds of opportunities and representation that we would want to see, you know, at the beginning of that experience, it was, you know, I mean, it shook me to my core because I thought this was like a defining value of my integrity and personality. And I had to step back and say, yeah, I have not made this the priority that it it should be. Um, and so when we made certain commitments 
Um, they were, of course, commitments for the agency, and we believe in diversity by design, but they were very personal to me. Um, and so I have tried to keep that um, focus on those things. And and for me, you know, really hiring diversity at the most senior levels has been the, the kind of... Um, non-negotiable, you know, so if we're, you know, if we're going to nip and tuck certain things here and there in terms of programming or, or, um, whatever, that's fine, but we cannot sacrifice, um, fundamentally being committed to a more inclusive, um, environment and having people of power and influence who are diverse, you know, at, at the highest levels of, of, of our company. And that is still a work in progress for us. I think we, we've made a lot of progress. In fact, I think I was just looking at a statistic for 2023. Um, I think we were at about 39% of our directors and above were, um, people of color and that was up 9% over the previous year. So it's, it's progress. Um, Mm -hmm. it's not, um, it's not, you know, we're not claiming, that, that we're there yet, but I think it's, it's meaningful progress. And, um, I think that helps to perpetuate it as an important part of our agenda, um, because Mm -hmm. it's personal to more and more people who are in charge of things. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's interesting that it sort of all comes, it's all in the context of this economic context that we're in right now. Right. And agencies are making cuts and scaling back. And unfortunately, it, it does happen in this area. So how are you kind of like, not only like pushing back against those cuts happening in DE&I, but then finding what are some new areas to grow for creative agencies? I think across the board, they're, they're, you're all looking for that, right? So like, where do you see opportunities yeah. to grow? Yeah. Yeah, I think we, I mean, we talked uh, a little bit earlier about a design offering. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. something for us that, um, you know, great design has always been a part of the work that we've done. Um, I think now we are going to the market with an offering that isn't just, you know, if you already work with us, we make things look beautiful. It, it is a proper standalone design only uh, offering for some for some clients um, at at sort of a very high and sophisticated level, so that can bring incremental revenue for us. I think uh, you know historically we had done B two B work, um, but we didn't necessarily have a specialism in that. That is certainly um, I think for many many agencies moving into sort of that kind of space, particularly in in the consumer health area. Um, Mm. there's, you know, obviously that is a, is a very crowded, uh, space. Um, and I think one that, that could use better and better, uh, creativity. So I think that represents growth for us. You know, we continue to scale in some of the areas that you would expect, uh, social and digital first. And, you know, we have an innovation practice that's allowing us to move into more technology enabled experiences. Those are not necessarily net new areas, but they are new for us as we kind of expand to more and more. As I said, that kind of total brand experience, we are able to do more and more of it, I think, with excellence. So I think those are all places where, where we can grow as as a part of the collective, I think one of the benefits that we have, again, is that we don't have to develop every specialism ourselves to be able mm-hmm. to leverage it. So, you know, our uh, Australia office, for example, has a really strong practice around sustainability. 
Now, that's not something that I've thrown a ton of FTEs at in LA, but if I have a client that has that need, I, I can have a, a group of experts mobilized really, really quickly. Um, our Paris office has tremendously deep luxury credentials um, and has done a lot of luxury retail. Um, you know, I can mobilize that really, really quickly. So I think for us, part of our growth strategy uh, is just tapping into the resources that we already have within the mm -hmm. collective and mobilizing them on behalf of our clients without having to bring on, you know, frankly, permanent, um, permanent staff that that is, is, as you said, in this economic environment, hard to carry or, or hard to attract. Yeah. So speaking of the um, total brand experience, we have the Super Bowl coming up, right? So how is that like, obviously brands are trying to extend that moment into yeah. all different types of touch points. It's not just about the 30 seconds, right? So talk about how maybe your approach will be embracing that this year and, and if what, what we can maybe some teasers, maybe we can expect to see. Yes, yes, yes. Well, actually, I think this has been a fascinating year because we've had quite a few clients who have been interested in the Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, while I'm not speaking, you know, for the official media uh, sellers of, of space, they have been sold out quite early. Yeah. You know, I, so I think this is an indication that people are brands are ready to spend. You know, I think after kind of holding and watching and seeing and what's going to happen in the economy, um, it, it feels like people are saying, hey, this is a still one of the biggest moments, uh, you know, in, in culture and in a place to connect and we're going to go for it. Um, so actually, I have to say many of our clients have have gotten kind of shut out, like they're interested, but they moved a little bit too late. And, you know, mm. they're on hold or um, sort of in in on the wait list, uh, so to speak. So I, I think that's quite interesting, just for the industry and what that you know what that says uh, that so many people came out so early. Um, but as we have been talking about how to participate, either you know in in the game or around the game, it is absolutely you know about um, owning really now that whole week and and having a very thoughtful orchestration you know that is not new i think we'll just see the the cleverness um with how that is being done you know hopefully the ante will keep rising on on that um and i i do actually think that's why we used to have situations where it would be about this time of year clients would wake up and say we want to do a super bowl spot and you'd kind of be like okay and you'd rush and you'd do it and you know, that's harder to do now because you've mm. now not, you're not just executing a spot. You are executing an entire plan that has to start with seating and PR and earn media and influencer. And, you know, what is the second screen experience and what are they doing two days before? And what are you doing night of? And what is the post, um, you know, kind of, uh, experience look like again, that kind of orchestration takes time. Um, mm. and I think it takes more and more, partnerships with platforms and personalities and influencers. Um, and so I don't know if I have any teasers, but certainly the the observation I have is if you want to show up in the Super Bowl, if you want to win the Super Bowl, first of all, you got to know the game that you're playing. You know, it is still high entertainment, high engagement. Of course, you need brand recognition and you need to get your message across. But for <laughs> advertisers who want to run, you know, claim driven work, it's probably not the place to be because then they're going to wake up the Thank next so morning much. and be very low on that 
USA Today poll and be very upset. <laughs> you know, it, you, you've got to meet the moment, uh, I think, with with your entertainment value. And you've got to give yourself enough time to to have at least, you know, at least a week's worth of very strong, well uh, orchestrated activity um, mm. in the lead up and, and in the post. Yeah, it's not just one uh, one game anymore. Um, no. Well, thank you so much, Erin. It was great to chat with you. And I'm uh, excited to see what you guys come up with for the, the game this year. Yes, yes, yes. I, um, I, I wish I had answers to all of your good questions because they are the <laughs> things that we are wrestling. If other guests give you good answers, let me know so that I can tune in because there are, you know, just some fundamental challenges and tensions that we're that we're grappling with and uh, as i said i think we are um so well suited to challenge or to to meet the challenge of the times and even still it's it's tough so you, mm. you do just rely on having people who care a lot and who are super smart um and and just believe that sort of creativity and innovation will you know will will win the day we just have to keep at it uh, kind of yeah. thing well, yeah. you're keeping up the good work. So <laughs> thanks. All right. Thanks, Allison. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening to Campaign Chemistry. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and head to campaignlive.com for all the latest news on advertising and marketing. 